New York City FC played their first preseason scrimmage. We'll talk about that. And then later, the Kicking and Screening Film Festival on NYC FC Views. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. NYC FC Views. Collins approaches the shot. And New York City! Wins the first MLS Cup on their first try, and they're going crazy. Tiro y gol! Gol! New York City is el campeón de Major League Soccer. The sickest New York City FC podcast. It's gonna be sick. All right, welcome back in. I'm Glenn Crooks, Roberto Abramowitz here. We are your NYCFC commentators. Well, a couple of them anyway. And we're getting uh, ready for the season. And that first preseason scrimmage is, is, the, uh, is the thing you focus on, and then you go from there. It was closed door. But first of all, uh, welcome, Roberto. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. All good. Good deal. Well, I heard about the scrimmage Barcelona SC. So for, first of all, you, you'd say Barcelona. But of course, there's a Barcelona in Guayaquil, Ecuador. And the first player, the first thing I thought of when I heard that was, remember this guy, Jefferson Mena? Yeah. The center back, the Colombian. Yes, of course. Well, he was loaned to Barcelona by, when he was still a property of New York City FC. Eventually, they, uh, they cut the contract uh, shortly thereafter. But that's what I remember. And then... Uh, I also remember going to number Ecuador. Number three once. in your program, if I remember correctly. Number what? Number three in your program, if I remember oh. correctly. That I, that I didn't remember. I just remember Jefferson <laughs> Mena. I remembered it didn't go very well for him in New York City. And uh, hopefully he's doing well wherever he is right now. Because uh, it, from what uh, Wikipedia says anyway, his professional soccer career ended in uh, 2020. But the game... So it was closed door, no stream. Uh, we got the starting lineup uh, on the uh, New York City Twitter page. It was played at IMG in Tampa, where they're uh, presently in preseason. Uh, and a 1-0 defeat, so no goals scored. Uh, basically, uh, Nick Cushing played two, two teams, as he put it. And uh, the, the goal was uh, scored off a set piece, which just brings back memories of a season ago when uh, – so many set-piece goals were conceded. It was an issue. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Nick used the word cheap in describing those goals at some point during the season. It, it got rectified a bit towards the tail end, no question yeah. about it. Uh, finally, um, you know, sorting it out. And um, I, I, don't, I can't remember the exact uh, breakdown. I just remember it had reached, I think, 13 set-piece goals conceded at, at one point. So it was a corner kick goal. And um, the uh, but why don't we you know we have the, the, there's a very brief set of highlights yes so, uh, that the club uh, has, uh, has put out and here it is so there's Dean Sands with the number six breaking the huddle uh, the uh, goal kick from Matt Freeze that's Christian Mark F McFarlane not from Freeze from uh, Barcelona Danny yeah. Rodriguez with a free kick there so is he still taking free I, kicks I, I, this year. You know? Yeah, well, it looks like it right now. But uh, and remember, New York City doesn't have a free kick goal since Goody Torrenson in 2021. Just thought I'd bring that back up. 
There's McFarlane again on the left defending. I want to talk about him a little bit. Freeze picking the ball up. He played the first half. Uh, Barraza. And that's the a goal. Half. Yeah, there's a goal. That's the goal that was conceded. Now, there's a different angle of this that uh, I was able to reshare on Twitter, and that's the end of the thing there. And what you can see, obviously, it, it comes off a corner kick, and uh, Bakrar is defending the front post, or sort of defending the front post. He's there, but he doesn't make a move, and the, and, and the forward not only was able to beat him and take a shot, he also gets the rebound and then is able to put it in. And that was in the second half because uh, it was uh, Barraza in goal for New York City. So that, that, that happened in the second half, and uh, they wound up losing one nothing. I'm not getting crazy at all about what the result is. I don't care about any preseason result. None of them matter. So uh, and already I'm having, arg not arguments, but discussions about this on Twitter you know, about how, you know, they lost. It's like preseason. They play two different teams. Uh, they, you know, they, you're looking to see that guys are getting fit, that that, that guy, you're, you're examining guys in different positions and you're trying to see really what you have. The last thing that matters, the last thing that matters is the score line. It's the last thing that matters. So please focus on the main things. Who are the guys that are going to step up? Who are the guys who are going to battle for starting positions? Who are the guys who are improving from last year? Who are the guys who maybe are taking a step back from last year and, you know, putting their positions in, in danger? These are the things that you look at when, when you're looking at preseason. How are you going to set up for the regular season? And if you're focused on results, you're, you're focusing absolutely on the wrong thing. Well, Don't want, focus on results. No, you shouldn't. But you, I'm going to dispute something uh, you said 100% is that you don't have to worry about results at all in preseason. I disagree because towards the tail end of preseason, as you're leading into the regular season, you better feel good about yourselves. So if you go out to Coachella and lose 4-0 to the Galaxy uh, as your last preseason game of the year leading into opening weekend, I, you know... So I disagree. At some point, do I agree about this game last night? Yeah. I'm not gonna, who's going to go crazy about a result last night? But it's just alarming. Set piece goal conceded. No goals scored. And and that was a that was a pattern last year. Uh, the inability yeah. to finish and giving up goals uh, that were um, rather soft. You know. So yeah, and, and that was definitely a soft goal because the marking was lacking. Yeah. All right. So the starting eleven: Jacob Arroy Ave who many people probably have never heard of. Uh, he was signed uh, by MLS Next Pro or New York City FC2, I should say, last summer. He's out of the Cedar Stars Academy. Apparently, he didn't play in the New York City Academy at all. Jersey boy from Passaic. And then Julian Fernandez, Matt Fries, Justin Hack, Micha Ilinich, Malachi Jones, who signed a rookie contract. He signed uh, – there was some speculation that he might go back to school, and I guess that's uh, – now no longer uh, the case, uh, Tiago Martins, Christian McFarlane, Santi Rodriguez, James Sands, and Gabe Siegel uh, started uh, at striker. McFarlane, who we saw a couple of times uh, in those highlights, that's an interesting battle, I think, going on at left back with him and, and Kevin O'Toole. McFarlane turned 18 years old today, uh, Roberto. I just saw that yeah. come up. So very you know young, but here's a guy that's in the U-20 mix for England. Uh, he, uh, and, and I know we've talked about him before and towards the tail end of last year, just watching him in training. Uh, I think he's learned how to defend 
a lot better than when he first uh, got involved with the first team. And uh, he's got some really good attacking skills too. So I'm, I'm anxious to see if he uh, look. We had O'Toole on a couple of weeks back, and he, he mm-hmm. talked about competition. But I'm I'm anxious to see if McFarland gets some uh, PT. I, I I hope so. And here's what I want to see: is that right now he's number two in the depth chart uh, as far as your left back because there's nobody else, right? He's number two, yeah, so uh, you're going to he's going to get a chance to make sure that New York City doesn't go out and sign anybody that he's going to be able to not only hold on to that number two position, but compete for a starting job with O'Toole and wind up pushing O'Toole. Now, if he's got the attacking chops that you say, because I haven't really seen him play. So, uh, and I know that you caught a couple of, uh, of, of uh, NYCFC two games and you have. So here I'm hoping, right? Because I remember the hype when they first signed him, what was it like three years ago already? My goodness. So um, that, you know, he's somebody who is uh, who really has the potential to become, you know, a, a really good player for New York City. And so I want to see him compete for that starting job. And, and you know how that goes with Nick, that he's going to get a chance to play too. Because we, we've seen, you know, for the most part, you know, guys who, who are in that position don't normally play 90 minutes all the time. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, you want to see the homegrowns grow. Well, that left back, it, it really alternated between Kufre and O'Toole. And we uh, went over that with Kevin, uh, you know, earlier here on NYCFC Views a couple of episodes ago. Nick Cushing, uh, there are some post-game comments from him. And, and it does talk about guys like McFarlane and, and others who got a chance to play. Let's hear that. Really good run out. I think it was good to get the two teams out 45 minutes each with it being the first game. Really good opposition. And... Um, we've had a good 10 days here where we've tried to put some ideas in and I think we saw them today so it's positive. I think how aggressive we were on the press at times I think you know was was a real standout. I think getting our younger players into the into the game was uh, a real positive Maximo Carrizo I thought was excellent. Christy McFarland really showed his desire to get into the first team so you know real positives across the board really. So that would indicate well, that McFarlane had a good match. Yeah, yeah, he did. And Maximo Carrizo, remember Carrizo last year at 14 years old, he was a starting 10 for New York City throughout all of preseason. And then once the regular season started, he went to NYCFC two and played there and played very well. So, I mean, here's going to be another young kid. What is he, 15 and change now, maybe 16 at this point that, uh, you know, that's going to get hopefully a chance to uh, play. I remember that the, the original thought last year with him was that towards the end of the season, he was going to get a chance to get some minutes. But the way the end of the season happened, uh, New York City just couldn't afford to do that at that point. So he got, you know, he basically only played NYCFC two minutes. So we expect to see him get a cup of coffee here and there uh, with NYC this year. Well, a big part of uh, his development is the physical development. And uh, as we've seen, Mitya Ilinich is probably the most uh, recent example of, of guys that just um, uh, the, the physical uh, performance staff is is exceptional in New York City. And these guys uh, become uh, bigger and stronger, but they don't lose their agility. You know, all the all the good soccer strength that's gained. And uh, I know Carrizo has uh, has elevated in that area uh, as well. I do want to say this, and this is not just towards New York City FC. Uh, because uh, the Philadelphia Union played a scrimmage the other night. Their next four will be closed door, including the one against New York City. 
uh, coming up on Saturday. Uh, I say boo on closed door scrimmages. I say boo I with a capital B and all capital. Look, if I were the coach, if I were the sporting director, maybe I'd say, no, nah, man, I don't want anybody seeing what we're doing. But I, I just, um, if I were the commissioner, I this is what I would do, Roberto. See what you think of this. However many scrimmages you elect to play in the preseason, you're allowed one closed door, one. The rest have to be open. The rest have to be streamed. I think that should also be required because if you're if the lifeblood of your of your franchise and organization and club are your supporters, why are they not getting a chance to see your team in preseason? I and not only and again, that, it's terrible this marketing. Just, this is not just New York City driven. This is across the league. Right. And right. This is terrible marketing because you're high instead of being out there and open and, you know, being talked about for good or bad, because, again, love me, hate me, don't ignore me. And that is like the three tenets of, of, of anything that you want to be popular. Right. And so if you're hiding the information and you're hiding all these things, you're playing behind closed doors, you're not getting the information out. There's no, you know, there's no way for the fans to find out what's going on. You know, there's no interest. And you want to be able to develop interest. You want to be, uh, that's part of marketing, right? Of marketing the team and developing interest. Do, do you think that, I mean, you look at spring training in baseball. There's nothing closed about that. They play a whole month and a half every day, well, plus, you know, and yeah. everybody's invited. I and know, that's great that's marketing great. for baseball. If you go to uh, spring training, it used to be great. Uh, where did the Dodgers used to train? Vero Beach. And they didn't have anything. You could walk. Tommy Lasorda was riding around in a car. He would stop and talk to you. I mean, it was. It's not quite as open now, but it is. I mean, you could walk around and and talk to players at spring training uh, in baseball. You know, it's. Uh, I, I agree. And, and uh, you know, like one a, one last thing I want to say. Yeah. One last thing. It sort of reminds me of the what was it? The Incredibles. Do you remember the movie The Incredibles? I, I, no, I don't you know. don't. Okay, you did. But mo most of the people who are watching us do. Okay, and it comes down to this. You okay? know this? Hold on. Yeah, it, it comes down to this. If if everybody is super, nobody's super. And what I mean by that is, if everybody has open practices or open games and no and and not closed door scrimmages, that means that there's no advantage for anybody. So everybody's got to have the same thing. So if you want to go and spy, you go and spy. And if you don't want to go and spy, you don't have to go. Everybody does what they want, okay? But if everybody has open practices, as you say, mandated, then nobody has a disadvantage, okay? Nobody does. And so it's good for everybody, and it's better for the league. It's better for soccer and for MLS to get more attention, which it desperately needs, they need to bring – I mean, I know they've got Messi, but you can't put all the eggs of that league in that basket alone because Messi's only staying for another, what is it, two years, okay? Hopefully he stays healthy. And then after that, what do you have? We've seen what happened with PSG once Messi left there. All the followers that they had on social media and everything, they all left. They all left. They're gone. Nobody cares. Anybody who followed Messi at PSG – doesn't know if they're in first place, third place, or seventh place, or who else plays for them. They don't care. They're gone. That's what's going to happen with MLS once Messi leaves MLS, for the most part, unless they're able to do something else to create interest. 
But that's really what's going to happen. Yeah. So and that goose with the golden eggs is going to die. Okay. Yeah. They're going to bury it in 2000, in 2000, what is it? Uh, what's this? 24, 25. In 2026, that, that, that goose gets buried. And you got to find something else to create interest. So start creating interest in other ways. This is one of them. And and it's open games we're talking about, not open training. I just wanted to, you just, you said right, open Right, right, games, uh, not trading. No. I mean, they no, should not. do that too, by the way, but that's a different story. Again, no <laughs> secrets. No yeah. secrets anywhere. Seriously. But, if you know, if you do it across the board, then nobody has a disadvantage. Once everybody's super, nobody's super. Uh, Nick Cushing had his... Uh, you can first... better watch the movie, by the way. It's really good. Okay, well, Nick uh, Cushing uh, had his... Uh, first press conference last week. And uh, we talked about no secrets. Uh, I, I would imagine it's no secret that Matt Freeze will be the starting goalkeeper at the beginning of the 2024. He did start last night and Luis Barraza came in the uh, second half, but here was uh, Nick addressing uh, the goalkeeper situation uh, last Friday. I think ultimately that in preseason, everybody comes back with a real enthusiasm and a real desire. And Luis Barraza is no different. We've got Alex Rando as well here with us that, you know, our MLS2 goalkeeper that is training incredibly well. Um, and then you've got Matt that, of course, finished the season. The, the, the goalkeeping department is always going to be one that's competitive. And I get it. We want to have a number one. And I, I don't see, I'll be honest, I don't see the, 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 the change of goalkeepers like we had last year. We, we will probably go with a number one. But, you know, on day five of preseason, it's pretty difficult for me to say... Uh, we're going to go with this guy, but you know Matt finished really strong. But you know I, I'm proud of Luis. It's tough to take when you lose your spot like that, and um, I'm proud of Luis the way he's come back. He came back in excellent condition. So um, he didn't give Matt Freeze the number one there, but you know the the, the yeah. leaning, of course, is going to be uh, uh, Matt Freeze. Uh, he started the last eight games of the season, had four clean sheets. And unless something happens between now and then, you know, I don't think a preseason, uh, unless there's something dramatic going on, whatever, uh, change the thinking that he'll be in goal. You, you brought up Messi, and I, I just want to bring this up very quickly. And maybe you know the specific New York City FC um, ticket situation, but I've been following uh, CF Montreal closely. So they've sold out their season tickets, okay? Now, if you were no, smart no. and got it, if you got in on that, and, and bought your season ticket. The 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 lowest price season ticket is uh, I think unofficially four hundred and fifty dollars at Montreal for the season. For the and season, you know, yeah, yeah. And you could sit anywhere in that stadium and see well. You know, you don't. That's it's perfect. A, it's a beautiful viewing stadium. Uh, they have a package now, a six game package, which includes the Messi game, which starts at a thousand dollars. So. If you bought a season ticket at the right time for $450, you are getting seventeen games where this messy package is a thousand for six. I, 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 this has to be. I wonder if this is happening in different parts of the uh, MLS sphere, uh, where um, these these small packages are overlapping the season, the original season tickets, or or with the season tickets adjusted for the full seventeen games. What happened on your end? Uh, my end, my, my season tickets basically remain the same. Um, they, uh, you know, it's it's what, what they have is called dynamic pricing. So not every game is priced the same um, as a season ticket holder for any sport because they have this for the Rangers and the Knicks and everything else. I, yeah. I hate it. 
because it's not fan friendly the way I look at it. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. So, um, so it, for New York City, I presume that they're going to open up. The game's going to be at Yankee Stadium in September. I presume 48,000 tickets are going to be available, which is the entire stadium. Um, and so if uh, I I wouldn't sell my ticket because of uh, I just don't, wouldn't think it's right. So, But Eddie's going to go to that game anyway. Um, but I'm sure that whoever has season tickets is going to be able to sell and, and you know, and, and make a profit on it. They're going to... The ticket is worth somewhere between like fifty and seventy dollars, maybe. I don't know what the variable pricing on that particular game is, but and you'll be able to sell it for probably around two hundred. Um, but there is New York City does have like a special package uh, of five different games as well that includes that game. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't see what it was because I, I'm not buying it, but uh, because I already have tickets. But um, so. There are other teams, for instance, Sporting Kansas City, for the Inter-Miami game, they're taking that game out of, um, what is the name of their park now, uh, for Sporting KC, which holds 18,000, right? Children, and they're taking Children's Mercy. Children's Mercy, right. So they're, And they're taking that to Arrowhead. And Arrowhead uh, is just, just under 70,000. So they're going to take that game there. And the reason they did that, was to give more people a chance to be able to buy tickets without it being an outrageous price increase. And it's, and, and it isn't an outrageous, and it's not a, an outrageous price increase. They did a good job there. And so people in Kansas city are going to be able to, uh, to see it for, you know, messy for a reasonable price. If they get tickets for the Harrod, as opposed to getting it on the secondary market, who knows yeah. what tickets right. are going to go for at that point. Um, I don't know if other, um, Teams well, are going to do. I don't know if the LA teams are going to wind up, you know, taking it to the Rose Bowl or taking it to uh, the Coliseum, or they're going to wind up if they play the, if they play Messi, if they're going to wind up doing something different. I know that Vancouver gets them, and I presume they're going to open up the entire stadium, which will take seating from twenty two thousand, yeah, which is what they sell. They've got a, to 50, Vancouver, Vancouver's got a list of four or five games where they're opening up. Uh, uh, their upper bowl. A couple of other New oh, York really? City. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, a couple of other New York City notes. Uh, Keaton Parks. Um, I guess it's old news, but he uh, since our last uh, podcast, he resigned yes. for 2026 with options for 27 and 28. And uh, Malachi Jones, the uh, top draft pick, uh, signed. What I was going to say, going back to not being able to see last night's scrimmage or any closed door scrimmage that's not streamed or any scrimmage at all that's not streamed is that's a guy I want to see. And the fact that he has signed and decided not to go back to school because we had his high school coach on. And remember he said he wouldn't be surprised if he went back to school. He was that kind of a kid, you know, wants to get his degree uh, very important to the family. But uh, so he, I, I'm assuming he must be doing pretty well or he would have mm -hmm. gone back to school. So, but I want to see him. And yeah, so I am going to I am going out to Coachella uh, for a few days. I'll probably be able to see two of their games, New York City games, along with the other stuff. It's a pretty cool event. Eleven MLS teams will be there. Phoenix Rising from USL will be there. They're training. They're playing games. It's uh, going out for Sirius XM as well, doing some stuff. So, and uh, there's a chance we don't know this for a fact yet, but I believe that there's going to be a chance that some of those games are going to be broadcast. So we'll see. I mean, we hope that they are because at least we'll get a chance to 
to watch some of the games. So uh, we'll see if that happens. We hope so. The Galaxy have announced that they are streaming on their own. Uh, and I, that, again, has not come from them. It's come from somebody that covers the team. So at the very least, the Galaxy plays New York City FC, the third and final game of Coachella. And so I, I'm assuming that game at least will be uh, able to be seen. And it let's hope that it's not yeah, it's not geofenced in to exactly. only certain area codes within L.A. And uh, nobody That's else true. can see. If that happens, get That's a VPN. True. I have a very good one now on my computer. So <laughs> Are I you willing to share VPN. that? Are you willing well, to share that? No, I can't. Sorry. It's not that expensive, Glenn. You, 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 you can buy one. It's very good. Oh, please. You, you're not going to share it with me. It's, I can't. Why not? It's not really shareable. It's a VPN. It's not really right. shareable. That sounds like a line to me. One other uh, New York City note. I thought Nico Benalcazar. You don't know anything about computers, so I'm hoping that you believe me. Nico Benalcazar, who's one of our favorites, uh, signed an N NYCFC2 contract and a homegrown deal um, with, with the first team, or maybe not in that order. Uh, he ended up at Cincinnati. He's, he signed an MLS Next Pro contract with FC Cincinnati 2. So that just happened a few days ago. So, uh, you know, we wish him all the best. A kid that was in the New York City Club uh, from its inception uh, in their academy yeah. program, who is now uh, going to be um, hanging out with uh, FC Cincinnati. All right, Roberto, let's kick it around, man. Right, Roberto, before we get to kicking and screening, I spoke to Greg Lawless, who's one of the co-founders, and it's a real cool New York City event. You like film festivals? I, I like film festivals, man. That's yeah, kind of fun. I've been to I've been to uh, to one of their film festivals. Well, well remember it, we saw the Tijuana one a couple of years back. Well, we bring that up right at the top because that was the first of uh, of of the many that they have shown uh, that I had seen, and then got a chance to talk to the director. But uh, the U.S. men's national team played recently, Slovenia, and we had a New York City player on either side. Let's see that uh, picture. This was, uh, I don't know if this was pregame or postgame. Kind of looks a pre. Post game, I believe. Is it post? I think okay. it's post. Yeah. So there's James Sands and uh, Micha Ilinic exchanging jerseys. Ilinic came in the second half and he played, uh, played the entire second half. James Sands. James Sands was the only capped player who did not get onto the field uh, for the U.S. men. And uh, so, um, but those are always good experiences. And now uh, they're both back in camp. They both played in that scrimmage uh, yesterday. All right, Roberto. Ilinich, um, hold on before you go. For Illinich, yeah. I mean, it's a milestone moment because that's his first cap for the senior national team. Very and good. he was the only MLS player that was actually called up So uh, for Slovenia. So good for him. He had only played in the youth national teams for Slovenia, but that was his first cap ever for the for the senior team. And uh, congratulations to Micha. Absolutely, and they've got the you know Euros. I mean, there he's got a chance to play in some uh, pretty cool competitions uh, coming up soon. All right, let's get to uh, this piece. Uh, my chat with uh, Greg Lalas. And the Kicking and Screening Film Festival coming uh, to New York City soon. 
The Football Cafe in New York City is going to be hosting this year's Kicking and Screening Film Festival, and it's spectators being treated to a feature film length, shorts, uh, great stuff, Thursday, March the 14th, Friday, March the 15th, and Saturday, March the 16th. And uh, one guy who has spent countless hours, along with his co-founder, on this project is Greg Lalas. He's the chief marketing officer for United Soccer League, but spends a lot of time uh, gathering these films, deciding who's going to make the cut, and then uh, bringing them to us uh, in New York City and, and also uh, across the country. So for the purposes of today, he's a co-founder of Kicking and Screening, Greg Lalas. Let's bring him up. There he is. Hey, Greg, what's, hey, Greg, what's happening? Uh, you know, same thing, right? Another year. Here we go. Year 15 of kicking and screening. Year 15. Now, we have an annual discussion, but it hasn't been over 15 years. Uh, it was I, the first film I remember seeing from your group. Uh, I came into New York and, and, and watched it was the and then interviewed the director. Chris Cashman was Club Frontera, the, mm. the story of Cholos and Club Tijuana. And it was it was really fantastic. And it's really those kinds of stories that you've really focused on over the years. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think my my co-founder, Rachel Marcus, who you mentioned uh, in the lead-in, uh, she and I have always been thinking about this as there's an audience for soccer films out there, and there is a, an industry of soccer films out there, but the two don't always meet. Um, and so our goal has always been to play the middle person in that, to try to make those connections for it all. And so being able to, you know, bring a, a film like Club Frontera or whatever the film might be to an audience of people who will really appreciate the storytelling in it, that's the biggest thing, right? Because Club Frontera, it's not getting on Netflix. It's not going to your, you know, local cineplex kind of thing. So if our, our goal very often is to say, how do we marry up a great story with an audience that's out there? Um, and I think that when you know when you remember something like that yourself, even Glenn, right? Or if another person emails us and says, "Oh, I remember this film that was so great," da, 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 that's the thing that really gets us going and motivates us a lot. I'm sure a lot of people are emailing you and saying, hey, "The great film. Where is it? How can I find yeah. it?" And I remember in our early discussions, that was always you know the distribution of it was was always a challenge for you. So so how's that? going as far as getting these films, getting more eyes on these films, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think that it's still a, still a struggle, right? Um, the reality is over the last 15 years that we've been doing kicking and screening, the content world has exploded, right? There's more content and more platforms and more channels out there for everything. And you do see a lot of soccer content out there now, whether it's the Welcome to Wrexham or Ted Lasso, or you know, you go a little further back to things like All or Nothing with Man City or Sunderland Till I Die. You know, there's a lot of soccer things out there. Um, but just like the actual film world, there's still plenty of indie filmmakers out there doing things. Um, you know, we started a, a side project called the Kicking and Screening Muse, uh, Media Group, which was aiming to try to help to facilitate some distribution. And we've had a little bit of success there. It's been probably a little bit harder than we maybe thought. Um, and as you know, right, this is a side gig for us, right? So it's not always a thing we're totally dedicated to. So we're not always able to really make those inroads that we'd like to for, the, for those films. So we don't take a lot of films on because of that. 
Yeah, Greg Lawless with us, uh, co-founder of Kicking and Screening Film Festival uh, in New York City. Which, when I think of the, you know, the indie films and and your festival, I know you've expanded. I think you you go to L.A. Maybe you can tell us where you go. But uh, I always think of it as a good old New York City project. You know, and yeah. you're over there on Park Slope, and you know, you're a city guy. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's become um, more focused on New York than anything. Like when we first started, we had you know grand visions of this is going to be, we're going to put one on every two weeks in a different city around the world. And and to be honest, we did. We have put on festivals and organized festivals on just about every single continent except for Australia. So um, you know we're trying to think about how we can. Uh, we'll always be open to that. But I think that what we've said is our flagship is New York. Our home is New York. There's an amazing soccer community here. And as with a lot of things, what happens in New York goes to the rest of the world, right? Even yeah. in the soccer space, right? And so um, the, the, one of the great legacies, I think, of kicking and screening is that when we started, there was one other soccer film festival in the world, and it was this little thing in Berlin uh, called 11 millimeter. They were in year three at the time. It was totally funded by, you know, the German film or cultural office wow. or whatever, right? Ministry yeah. of Culture or something like that. And, and the city of Berlin. Um, since we started in 2009, there are now probably 10, 12, 15 soccer film festivals around the world because wow. people saw that there is an audience out there. There is an interest in this soccer culture has changed right so there's much more interest in storytelling around the game than it is just go to the game on saturdays or sundays and you're done right so um i think that's really been one of the the proud legacies of kicking and screening over the years and storytelling as i'm sure you'll uh, understand through some of the things you've done in your career both at mls and now usl that's become more and more the trend in trying to attract eyes you, to tell a story. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I mean, I, I don't remember who said it, you know, Ann Patchett or somebody like that. It was just like, in the end, that's all we are is story, right? We are all stories. And you think about that's what memories are. You remember stories, right? And so, sure. um, and so ultimately interest is, is um, earned through stories that we learn. So, um, you know, our story is now in its 15th year. Um, it has moved around the city. It's, you know, but it's, it's I think, come through. And so as as people get that and more platforms are, are being able, are, are out there for people to tell stories, it just ultimately is, is growing the game. And I think it has a big part of the explosion of soccer in America as people now know the story of soccer in America. And that they realize there are so many great stories out here that can make somebody care about it. You, you talked about uh, not being able to accept a lot of films. Well, what if, if there's somebody who catches this and they've got an idea for a film or maybe they're halfway or three quarters done with something, uh, what would the process be for them to show you the film and give you a chance uh, to look it over and maybe accept them into the festival? Yeah, super easy. So you can go to kickingandscreening.com and that's where we have, you know, there's a button right there that says submit uh, or contact and you can email us at, and say, hey, I've got this film. It's half done. It'll be done by this time. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's super easy to get in touch with us. All right. And that's also, also the website where you can get the tickets to the event again, March 14th, 15th and 16th. All right. Let's uh, just uh, briefly tell the stories a little bit about the, the films that you're featuring, but you have 11 films in all 
Yeah. Maybe three of them feature length, and you, th those are the ones that you're promoting uh, most consistently. But on night one, when L.A. Wolves conquered the USA, this is an era of soccer in, in the States, which is always rather fascinating because it's in between that time where the U.S. US couldn't even qualify for the World Cup. Right. Yeah. Um, it, and it's really, it's the story of the United Soccer Association, which was this league that came up and it had like 12 teams in it. Right. And um, they were teams that were basically in the off season for teams around the world. Right. These European or South American teams would just sort of like transplant and all of a sudden they would represent a local city in America. Right. So Wolverhampton Wolves in England, who are now obviously in the Premier League and a big club and growing. And, and they had a team in Los Angeles. They were called the L.A. Wolves. And it's like all these players just came over to play. Right. There was there was a wonderful short um, from a couple of years ago about one of the there was an Irish team also that did this. Right. And they did something on uh, Irish TV. Right. And they were I forget where they were. They were in, you know, Cleveland or something. There's like random cities that would have this. But they felt like, well, we can't find players locally, but we want to do soccer. So let's do it this way. Um, and so L.A. Wolves comes over and it's the story of what they kind of did. And you really think about it's kind of the birth of modern American professional soccer because 1967. It's right when the NASL is just starting to get going a little bit as well, right? Um, a couple of years before Pele, lots of years before MLS or the World Cup in 94. So um, it's a fun story for anyone who's um, interested in American soccer history. So that's night one on the Thursday. Yeah. On Friday, we've got the home game. Now, I've been to Reykjavik uh, recruiting uh, when I was a college coach. So yeah. I'm a bit familiar with Iceland, but this is pretty wild. Yeah, like uh, Iceland soccer, obviously, you know, everyone knows the, the Viking clap and, yeah, and everything right, that right. they did at the Euros to reach the quarterfinals and this tiny country of 300,000 people or whatever that's soccer mad and has some some global stars, you know, even over the years that have emerged. Um, but this is the story of 25 years ago, this guy said, I want, I'm in a tiny little village, but I want to have a home game in the cup. To do that, I need to have this regulation field that is exactly this certain way. It never came to fruition, right? His son then says, I'm going to fulfill my father's dream, right? So it ultimately is, it's very funny. It's very sort of Icelandic with the sort of humor of Iceland. Um, but it's also the story of a, of a son and his father, right? Like trying to do something that this, yeah. how this is important in that way. So about trying to get this, um, this, cup game to come to this tiny village of like 300 people right to have it, it would be a big deal for this little fishing village for it to happen all right i can't wait no, to I'm see not tell you, i'm not gonna do no I'm, i can't wait to see how it all ends i will be yeah. there uh and on night three the united way now this is manchester united now, there have been a, a lot of films about manu whether it's about sir alex or yeah busby's babes or the, yeah. the Tragic uh, air crash. The uh, it's just, just uh, there's myriad. Uh, Wayne Rooney. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving some out. But the, what what is special about this one? Well, for first of all, it's Eric Cantona's version of Manchester United. Well, so that, Eric Cantona. That, that's like, almost you know, enough said. <laughs> I mean, look, he was. Yeah. You know, in many ways, Eric Cantona's arrival at Man United in what the early 90s, right after he had done very well at Leeds, and then he comes to Man United just as the Premier League is starting to kick off. Like, 
he ends up being such an iconic figure for that club. And, you know, in some ways, you know, is Alex Ferguson really Alex Ferguson without what Cantona brought to that team at that time, right? So, and he's obviously become an amazing personality. He's deeply into film and, and telling stories. And he's, you know, I just watched a Netflix show or Amazon show or something with him where he plays a villain, right? Um, and uh, some sort of mafia boss, right? So he's, he's, he's into, he clearly is into storytelling. He's very philosophical about the way he approaches things. So he, uh, this is his story, right? And it's the story of how he views Manchester United, how he, his self-perception of his role with Manchester United, and he's the presenting, um, the, the presenter, the executive producer on this. It's actually made by a guy named Matt Hodgson's, who's the director. And Matt Hodgson was also the director of a great film called Four Year Plan, which was the story of QPR when they had sort of this rich guy come in and take wow. over. Wonderful. Wonderful film. So he's in the soccer space. He understands English soccer. And so it, this is a great film. Does uh, Cantona at all um, go into his relationship with Sir Alex? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of, you know, it's obviously clear, but I'm not going to give it away as well. No, that's, that's again, so, I just yeah. want to make sure he touches on that. Well, that, that's, yeah. that's great. So uh, so those are the three nights, uh, again, the yeah. 14th, 15th, and 16th. And uh, for tickets... And that's just... closing night, right? So, that, like, as always with closing night, we have our closing night party right afterwards. So we're super right. excited to be going to Football Cafe uh, downtown. It's sort of a relaunch of Football Cafe um, which is obviously this cultural center for soccer in uh, the Lower East Side, uh, founded by Kyle Martino, former MLS and U.S. national team player. Um, and we're really excited about this because they had kind of a soft launch last summer, and we're sort of like that coming out party again for who they are and what they're all about. That's wonderful. Football Cafe sounds perfect. And uh, in the past, we've had Q&A with the directors, some panel discussions. Do you anticipate that sort of thing going on? Yep. Yep, we're working on it right now. We're sort of finalizing. We'll have some word over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, I can, uh, one hint is we're doing a discussion about design in soccer, right? And I think that you look at some of the crests and kit designs and things like that, especially in the United States, what has been been doing, uh, what, what clubs in America have been doing, which is in many ways, like at the forefront of soccer design around the world, right? Um, so we're going to do a little bit of this panel discussion with some designers coming in to talk about the work that they do and how important it is. Everybody seems to love kits, Greg. I mean, I think that's a that's a good but one. Kit culture is a big deal. We've we've talked about kit culture a little bit over the years as well, and you know, we had Simon Doonan on uh, not too long ago to talk about kit culture and. And, and just the soccer uh, fashion element of it. So this one, we really want to look lean into like crest design and kit design and this, this, this idea of design. So talking to a couple of, you know, uh, relatively globally renowned designers about the work that they do to, how do you create a crest? How do you, how does it, how do you know it's going to resonate and not resonate, you know? So things like that. Yeah. Greg Lawless, co-founder, Kicking and Screening Soccer Film Festival coming up. Uh, soon to the uh, Football Cafe, Lower East Side, and it's March 14th, 15th, and 16th. I'll be there the first two nights, Greg, but uh, New York City has a match on the 16th. I'll be doing the commentary, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to go it to happens. that. It yeah, happens. I'll miss the party, too. Well, maybe yeah. the game will end soon enough I can fly. You know, <laughs> there you go. There you <laughs> go. We'll put the game on a TV somewhere in the back. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, good luck to you, Greg. All right. Thanks very much, Glenn. 
All right, so uh, Kicking and Screening Film Festival, and yes, Club Frontera, We right at the top, uh, Club Tijuana, Cholos, what a great story, and, and, and some, some great films uh, coming up, and tickets available, so uh, I'm going, uh, I am going to go Thursday and Friday, Roberto, Saturday we actually have a broadcast, so as I said in the interview, I'm not going to be able to uh, head over to that one. Hey, uh, back to MLS for a moment, uh, Charlotte. Uh, We've been following the path of uh, former New York City coaches and players as we see them move around. Miles Joseph was an assistant under Jason Kreiss uh, at New York City FC in 2015. Uh, played for the Red Bulls. You know, he's just a, he's a guy that's been uh, around this area uh, quite a bit throughout his uh, soccer life. He's going from Portland, so he was an assistant in Portland. Uh, Phil Neville, now the head coach, and. Uh, it was just announced that Charlotte has hired him and Dean Smith as the head coach as the associate head coach at Charlotte. So congratulations to Miles. That's that's a nice move for him. And it's the second uh, assistant that Phil Neville has lost. Interesting. At first, it was, you know, Miles was staying. Jason Kreiss, although it was never formally announced, but it was beyond assumed that he was going to be Phil Neville's top guy again. Uh, like he was at Inter-Miami, but then Kreiss went back to Real Salt Lake. So Neville is down uh, two assistants right now. Uh, and then the other interesting part of that, uh, of the Charlotte thing, Tommy Wilson, who's a, a pretty legendary figure in the uh, MLS Academy realm at Philadelphia. I mean, they're uh, what a highly regarded academy where their players are at now. He, uh, after 10 years, left, and now he's the technical director of Charlotte uh, FC. So Charlotte with a couple of uh, pretty big coaching moves. Yeah, that sounds uh, pretty good. I saw yesterday from uh, Jonathan Tannewell that uh, Alejandro Bedoya is probably going to come back to the Philadelphia Union, so that's great. Love him. I think he's just a great player and a um, great personality in the locker room, head in the right place. I mean, he's a real, real leader, so I don't know how much he can physically contribute on the field. Obviously, he still has gas left in the tank. If not, yeah. Jim Curtin wouldn't consider him. But he's probably coming back to Philly. So that's great news. Um, what else is out there? Oh, so the other thing, let's cross the border. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, uh, in his second game for Monterey, scored his first goal last night, even though they wound up tying Querétaro 1-1. But a beautiful headed goal by, by Brandon Vasquez. So second game, gets his first goal. Good for him. So uh, happy for him. And then Chicharito Hernandez, who after four years at the LA Galaxy, two of them that were very good. So one was excellent. The other one was really good. That was the third year. First year was pretty horrible. Last year was doing okay. And then he got injured and then he didn't play the rest of the year. That was his four-year stay in LA. Uh, but, you know, two of the years were really, really good. Uh, so now at 35, I believe, he resigns with his childhood club, Chivas. Let's see how much he's got left in the tank. And uh, we'll see what he does there. And he will be with former San Jose Earthquake, Cade Cowell, who now uh, is with Chivas, made his debut, played about, I don't know, 25 minutes or so, and uh, did a pretty good job by uh, all intents and purposes. Even though they lost one nothing. he created a lot. And uh, they think he's going to be a handful for Mexican defenses even though he's only 20 years old. And, you know, a little bit of controversy over the fact that he's an American and he's basically admitted that he, you know, he really identifies as an American as opposed to, you know, someone who's being Mexican-American. He's got Mexican family. So, you know, somebody who identifies a little bit more on the other side. Chivas is sort of like 
had this uh, line of what they would allow as far as, you know, non-Mexican players because they've been a Mexican-only team since, like, you know, for close to 100 years. And um, when before they would say you either had to be born in Mexico or born from Mexican parents, now it's sort of a little, you know, a little bit different. And so somebody like Cade Cowell, who does have Mexican blood, can go and play there. And they have not asked him to renounce the U.S. national team like they did Alejandro Sendejas when right. Sendejas went there right. from FC Dallas. Right. Um, and uh, so it's interesting to see what's going on over there. You know, look, from an American perspective, as opposed to the Mexican perspective, which is extremely nationalistic, I, I just find I just find the whole idea of a Mexican-only team pretty horrific, uh, especially in 2024, as I did in 2023 and years beyond years beyond that. But it's still a thing, and it's not the only place in the world. Atletico no. Bilbao in uh, right, in, in, you know, in Spain does real, the same thing. There's something very you know. romantic about that, Roberto, and I love what Bilbao does, and they have adhered to it. Is that only players? that either were born and raised in the Basque region or were developed there. So they could be different nationalities, but if they were developed, you know, in their youth system, then they can play there too. I, like I said, there's something about that that's um, warm and fuzzy. I don't know. I like it. I, like I, I, it. I, I, I find it the contrary, but, you know, so be it. So be it. Either way, uh, a little bit more reason to tune in your local, you know, whenever you get a chance. Mexican broadcast because you've got a lot of American players there now. Cowell in Chivas, uh, in Monterrey, you've got uh, you've got um, ah, just Brandon Vasquez in America. You have Alejandro Sendejas who's playing really well over there. He's like such an important player for America. He's won basically the starting job, although he didn't start last night. Came in the second half and got a hockey assist on the second goal. Um, but uh, he's playing really, really well. And uh, there are, there, you know, there are other American players there as well. Sebastián Saucedo playing for Juárez, um, and, and there are others. So, you know, good chance to check to check out uh, Mexican league soccer. And then there was something else that I wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, so Univision and Charter Spectrum—that's a cable system that I have that uh, charges a ridiculous amount of money for for my cable package. It's absurd. Uh, and uh, but they've signed a deal where they're, you know, where they've renewed and, you know, you're not going to get any blackouts or anything like that. You know, sometimes they pull channels. So they've signed an agreement, a multi-year agreement. But part of that agreement is that they're going to have like a VIX, like VIX plus, that's a separate VIX plus. But if you're a subscriber to uh, depending on the package that you have from Spectrum, you'll be able to get that for free. So there's not going to be any Mexican games that is that are broadcast on either Univision, Unimas, TUDN, uh, or VIX that you're going to miss, which right now you are. So that, that's good news, too, if you're interested at all in Mexican soccer, which you should be because League's Cup comes up in summer, and, you know, you want to know who you're playing. And uh, contact Roberto directly if you would like to get his VPN so you can, uh, you know, see all. Yeah, kinds that's not of happening. <laughs> oh, I have another idea, by the way. I, I have a, I have a solution for League's Cup, a temporary solution for League's Cup. Are you ready for this? Sure. And then we have to close. People are sick of yeah, listening. Yeah, I know we do. Today. But yeah. I, I got this stuff. It comes to my mind. I want to be. Where am I sharing it? 
No, you know, no, no, nobody responds to my Twitter for crying out loud. You God forbid you ever read it. Anyway, so here's the deal. So here's the deal. Uh, I, I feel that League's Cup is very unfair to Mexican teams, obviously, because they don't get to play home games. And they agree to not it. only do they, they not to get it. to play. They agree right. to and it. So not, yeah, I still, but it's still unfair. And and, and they, they found out how unfair it was, you know, as yeah. the tournament progressed, because I don't think they, they thought it through. Although, you know, through all the cash that was thrown around, they, they didn't care. You know, they took the money to put it in their pocket, or at least the league did. And, you know, they're all happy with that. But to make it fair in a competition. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Where did right? the money go? Where did the money it go? It went into their pockets. God almighty, it went into their pockets. Well, you know, they earned it. Anyway, I'm not saying illegally. I'm just saying it went to their pockets. They got paid for being there. All right. So one of the things that became really unjust, as you saw Monterrey have to travel from place to place to place to place, is that I think that a team, a Mexican team, Based on their standings, because all of this was based on standings, either in the Mexican League or MLS, and then they're combined, that based on standings should have a home field. Even if I don't care if Monterrey is Philadelphia, America is Vancouver, wherever it is. And so if they're the top seeded team, right, and they, you know, once the playoffs start, and instead of them having to travel to Houston to play Houston, who was a lower seeded team, right, they should have Houston travel to Vancouver if that's where America is seated. And that cuts down on the amount of travel that they have because that's a secondary disadvantage. Not only are you not playing at home, but now you're also having to travel everywhere. And the amount of travel that Monterey had last year was absurd. And yes, it affected them and uh, it probably cost them a better opportunity to win that championship. So I think that to make it fairer, that teams that are highly seeded from Mexico should be anchored wherever they wind up playing. Right. That that that's to make it a little bit fairer. I still think that both that this competition well, I think should it's, be played uh, in both been, countries, and well, that helps well, MLS teams. Okay, right. I, it's pretty much been intimated beyond the intimate intimate whatever I'm trying to say. It's been put out there that I. I I think Use you can almost guarantee you can almost guarantee there's going to be games in Mexico this year. That's what I would say. That I oh, I think not. I think the league absolutely said that. That's not how Don Garber last year at some point after the competition was asked about it, and I don't know if it was at MLS Cup. He was pretty damn adamant, if I remember correctly, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But he was pretty damn adamant, saying, "No, it ain't happening. It's all here." Well. That remains to be seen. Of course, I've asked about a League's Cup schedule, and uh, I believe the chuckle at the other end of the uh, <laughs> other line uh, is said it all. You know, that's, that's not going to happen <laughs> for a while. All right, Roberto, good to see you. Uh, we will be on next after another closed-door scrimmage, which we will try to, I don't know, we'll talk about it somehow. Maybe there'll be another 40-second highlight clip. Uh, thanks, though, to Esteban Cabino for sharing with us uh, the Nick post game and some of those highlights, just so that we could uh, share that with you as well. So for Roberto Abramowitz, I'm Glenn Crooks for NYCFC views. See it. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast NYCFC views on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.